when my chaise lounge high above 107 Columbia with both eyes protected by my sunglasses. Welcome to this fabulous day, which may be the only true day of summer in Albany this year. Welcome to this version of the Nipty Practice Tips. Today we're going to be discussing SCI and post-indictment pleas and how the rules for each are significantly different in many areas. So, slather on some more suntan oil and let's get started. The rules that govern which Superior Court information or SCI pleas are permissible to satisfy a criminal court complaint are often stricter than those permitted to satisfy an indictment. An SCI plea may only be to a charge that is in the criminal court complaint upon which the SCI is based or a lesser included offense of those charges as this term is defined in CPL 1.20 subdivision 37 and there is no permissible plea to a lesser charge where an A felony is charged. In post-indictment situations, there is much more flexibility as to what pleas are permitted to satisfy the indictment. In CPL 200.20 subdivision 1, the legislature has identified numerous crimes that are identified in the statute as lesser included offenses for plea purposes, but are not lesser included offenses as defined in the previously mentioned CPL 1.20 subdivision 37 and CPL 300.50 for trial purposes. In subdivision 2 of CPL 220.20, the statute specifically differentiates the meaning of lesser included offenses for plea purposes post-indictment and those that apply at trial in the context of charging the jury. This section reads, an offense is deemed to be a lesser included offense with respect to a crime charged in an indictment pursuant to the provisions of subdivision 1 of this section only for purposes of conviction upon a plea of guilty and not for purposes of conviction by verdict. For the latter purposes, an offense constitutes a lesser included one only when it conforms to the definition of those terms contained in subdivision 37 of section 1.20. Because of this more flexible post-indictment approach to permissible pleas, a defendant is permitted to plea to one or more of the enumerated lesser charges in the statute that are not in the indictment or information and could not be added at trial as a lesser included offense pursuant to 300.50. For example, post-indictment, defendants are permitted to plea to non-existent crimes such as an attempt to commit a reckless crime, which by definition has an unintended result. It is impossible to attempt, that is, act intentionally, to commit a crime which has an unintended result. An example of this would be attempted reckless assault or attempted assault in the commission of a felony. See, for example, People v. Foster, a Court of Appeals decision from 1967. These fictitious crimes are not permitted to be submitted to a jury at trial nor are they permitted to be a crime for which the grand jury may charge the defendant, even if the defendant erroneously requests their submission at trial and there is a conviction by the jury, the verdict will be set aside as jurisdictionally defective. This type of lesser included offense is only permissibly used as a plea in a post-indictment situation. When you are in a post-indictment posture, a defendant's plea to a lesser crime, which is not a lesser included offense, 
is not a jurisdictional defect and the defendant's written waiver of his right to appeal forecloses any right to appeal as to the impropriety of a pleading to non-lesser included offenses. Plus, the plea itself forfeits the right to appeal. In the case of People v. White, a First Department case which leave to appeal was denied by the Court of Appeals in 2007, the court wrote, Defendant made a valid written waiver of his right to appeal and also acknowledged orally that he had discussed the waiver of, with his attorney and understood it. Accordingly, we find that appellate review of defendant's challenges to both his plea and sentence is foreclosed. There are, of course, a significant number of key situations where the pre-indictment rules are more flexible for plea purposes than the post-indictment. This is logical, considering the purpose for the amending of the New York State Constitution to permit pre-indictment pleas was to expedite the disposition of cases pre-indictment. When a defendant agrees to plead guilty to an SCI to which the, both the people and the court agree, there were very few restrictions as to how much lower the crime to which the defendant pleads may be from those found in the criminal court complaint. See CPL 200.15. When dealing with post-indictment pleas, there are numerous restrictions as to how much lesser the lesser plea may be from the top count in the indictment. For example, post-indictment, a defendant charged with a BVFO is permitted in most situations to only plead down to a DVFO. If defendant is indicted for a B-armed VFO, the lowest permissible plea post-indictment is to a C-VFO. Pre-indictment, if the defendant is charged in the complaint with a BVFO, there is no restriction that prevents a plea to a D non-VFO or an E felony. See CPL Article 200. CPL Section 18050 Subdivision 2B limits the court in its discretionary powers it shares with the people to reduce felony charges to misdemeanors when dealing with armed violent felonies. The pertinent part of the statute reads, if there is a reasonable cause to believe that the defendant committed a felony in addition to the non-felony offenses, the court may order a reduction of the charge to one of the non-felony offenses only if, one, it is satisfied that such reduction is in the interest of justice, and two, the district attorney consents there too, provided, however, that the court may not order such reduction where there is a reasonable cause to believe the defendant committed a Class A felony other than those defined in Article 220 of the penal law or an armed felony as defined in subdivision 41 of section 1.20. If a defendant is a predicate felony offender of any kind and is charged in an indictment with any felony, remember there can be indictments which only charge misdemeanors, then she or he must take a plea to a felony and any of the previous rules which we've discussed which would permit a non-predicate felony offender to plead to a misdemeanor in satisfaction of an indictment for that charge would not apply. Take a look at CPL 200.10 subdivision 5C. However, this rule does not apply pre-indictment, thus encouraging any defendant who is a predicate felon to plead guilty to an offered a misdemeanor, which will not be available post-indictment. The timing for a pre-indictment plea extends further than you might expect. A defendant is permitted to take an SCI plea even after an indictment has been voted 
as long as the indictment has not yet been filed. Take a look at CPL 195.102b. This statute specifically authorizes a waiver of indictment at any time before the actual filing of the indictment. Take a look at also People v. Floyd, a First Department case from 1991, where appeal was denied by the Court of Appeals in 1992. There are certain restrictions that apply both to SCI and post-indictment pleas. Crimes on the same level or higher than those charged in an indictment or complaint are not permitted to be added for plea purposes, such as attempted murder indictment adding assault in the first degree. If the defendant wishes to plead to such a crime that is not found or properly added, the defendant must be rearrested and charged in a new criminal court complaint. He or she is not permitted to waive this requirement of a new arrest and charge for that crime by consenting to the drawing up of an SCI. This would be a jurisdictional defect that would permit an appeal by the defendant even if he or she agreed to waive any appellate issue at the time of such an improper plea. Remember, an SCI is a function of an unsatisfied criminal court complaint. Once the defendant was indicted for the crimes alleged in the original indictment, that complaint no longer exists, so there is no basis upon which an SCI may be drawn up and pled to by the defendant. Please be sure to read carefully the case of People v. Boston, 75 New York 2nd, 785 from 1990, which clearly explains the limitations that exist when dealing with this type of post-indictment plea as well as pre-indictment plea. In cases where the entire indictment is dismissed and the people are given leave to represent, a plea is permitted to be taken on an SCI without the need for a representation to the grand jury, and the case of People v. Boston is not applicable in this set of circumstances. The basis for this lies in the logic set forth by the Appellate Division First Department when they upheld the validity of a plea in the case of People v. Lopez in 2004, and the Court of Appeals affirmed this in their decision in 2005, where they wrote, However, in this context, the dismissal of the indictment here did not eliminate the underlying felony complaint. Rather, the underlying accusatory instrument, the felony complaint, remained extant to form the foundation of the charges to be represented, if necessary, to a new grand jury. For additional material on SCIs and post-indictment pleas, be sure to take a look in the PE for many articles addressing these issues, as well, of course, as articles to be found on the NIPTI Practice Tip pages. Our thanks, as always, to our crack producer, Jonathan Marconi Crispino, who right now is busily cleaning out the NIPTI pool. Thanks so much for everything, Jonathan. Good job. To all of you out there, be well and stay ready, my friends. Mm -hmm.